This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for February 25th, 2021. Apple is cracking down on app scams and fake reviews. Mozilla introduces cookie protection, an iCloud vulnerability is patched, and Silver Sparrow malware hits M1 Macs. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm fine. We've got lots of stuff that you like to talk about. We've got malware. We've got a cross-scripting vulnerability patched. We're going to talk about zero-click attacks. But first, I want to talk about something that's not even Apple, because you often mention the problem with Android phones and the fact that they don't get security updates for very long. Samsung has promised at least four years of security updates on their Galaxy phones. They say security updates. They don't say necessarily Android updates for four years, but at least these phones are going to have four years of security updates. I think we just have to applaud the fact that um, Samsung is doing something that Apple's been doing for more than 10 years uh, <laughs> and making people a little bit safer. Yeah, this this is good. Um, I, I do like that when companies actually commit to a specific amount of time that they're going to be you know, releasing security updates for a particular device or or piece of software, um, you don't always get that. And and to be fair, I, I think this is actually, you could argue both directions. You could either say this is an advantage over the way Apple does things um, because they're specific. And so you know what you're going to get in advance before you even buy the product. And the on the other hand, um, Apple typically does support their hardware for quite a bit longer than Four years when it comes to um, security updates. So, you know, it, there's there's a couple of different ways that you could look at this. You could say Apple's doing a better job because they support their phones for more than four years. And you could also say, yeah, but you don't know how long you're going to get that support because Apple doesn't say anywhere on their site how long they're going to release security updates for a particular iPhone model. That's true, but we know that you're going to be able to install the the latest operating system on an iPhone for at least four years, if not longer. Yeah, typically. And and if nothing else, Apple is now also doing security-only updates for the older operating system for the the latest model that's not able to get the you know the latest version of iOS. Okay, so a new browser tracking hack works even when you flush caches or go incognito. That sounds pretty interesting because we've talked in the past about using private browsing or incognito would prevent trackers from working uh, because when you're finished a private browsing session, everything gets deleted. How is this new hack working? They're using a couple of common features that are built into just about every browser. They're using redirections and combining that with a particular use of subdomains of a site and uh, what are called fav icons or fav icons. Um, it's a, it's a, there's a file called favicon.ico, which usually exists at the root level of a domain. Um, and there may be other locations that it can be located to, but this is like a little 
preview image, uh, in some browsers, you'll have a little special icon for that website uh, in your tab bar. So, uh, you know, you'll see if you go to um, Ars Technica, like where we're reading this article, they have a little orange circle with Ars, you know, written in it. That is in uh, a fave icon. And um, so this attack um, combines a few different things and uses some some uh, funky, clever methods to essentially tell whether you've been to a site before based on um, what what it can find about the, the use of fave icons and the number of redirections that it takes uh, to get through this this whole process. So um, it's it's sort of bizarre um, how they're combining these things. It's very um, unusual, I would say, in terms of like, this is a very novel attack. Um, how practical is it? I mean, it's probably not really all that practical, but if someone really wanted to track you, they could throw you through a bunch of redirects and use these favicons and all that kind of thing. Um, now the brave browser, which I've mentioned before, I really like, um, especially on iOS. Um, they also have a Mac OS browser as well as other platforms. Um, and brave already has done some things to mitigate this, um, potential privacy issue. And, um, Google, uh, as of last week, uh, they were saying that they were aware of the research and work, they were working on a fix. Um, very likely, they've probably already released that fix. I need to look through the change log to see whether they've actually implemented that. But probably by now, Google is usually pretty quick to fix issues like this. And then Apple, for their part, said that they were looking into the findings. And we know that there hasn't been a Safari update since then. Okay, the Ars Technica article tells you how to delete the fave icon cache. It's a separate database from your normal browser cache. So if you are worried, you can delete this cache every once in a while. You'll notice you won't see the little icons in the tab bar, probably in your bookmarks and a couple of other places they won't show up, but they'll eventually load again. Um, it's a clever way of tracking people, I think. We have another nibble of browser news. Mozilla launches total cookie protection with Firefox 86 for Mac. My first thought is, is this like some sort of diet thing? Yeah, it definitely sounds like like that sort of a thing. But this is not that kind of cookie. Um, <laughs> they they have a, a clever little graphic where, where they show you uh, the before and after. And the idea behind this total cookie protection is that before any website can just reach their hand in the cookie jar and pull out whatever cookies they want, essentially. And so the way that uh, Mozilla has decided to change this for Firefox is by giving a separate cookie jar to every website that you visit. Um, so Facebook can only reach into the Facebook cookie jar and uh, fuzzy slippers, I, I'm sure that they probably made that up. I, I don't know. But they, they can only look into their own <laughs> cookie jar and so forth. So um, it's it, it makes it a lot more difficult for websites to sort of see cookies related to other websites. It looks like it makes sense. Why hasn't it been like this before? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I think that some of the reason for that is that there are scenarios where a website might actually want to see cookies from another domain or perhaps, you know, a, a different subdomain on a site. There's some 
rare circumstances where you might actually get some benefit out of a website's use of, you know, everyone being able to reach into that cookie jar. Like Facebook being able to go on any website and find information about you. Well, and see, that's exactly the problem is that because there are things like Facebook that are embedded in every website, um, that uh, in some cases that can mean that they're able to set first party cookies even when you're on a third party site. So you can be at some website that's not Facebook and uh, they can still set a cookie and they can use that to track you wherever you go across the internet. Even if you've got third party cookies disabled in some cases, depending on how they're implementing that process of saving a new cookie on your browser. Okay, there's been a bunch of talk recently about some apps sold in the App Store. It's usually the iOS App Store and not the Mac App Store that are charging exorbitant prices that are using um, review farms to put tons, thousands of five-star reviews. Uh, it started with a developer named Costa Elefteriu, who on Twitter was putting a whole bunch of information about this. Apple has finally cracked down on some of this, um, deleting some apps and uh, removing some developers. And an article on 9to5Mac has the text of a rejection letter from Apple to one developer. Um, this is something I've been seeing for a while. I know a couple of people who've been following this, apps that all of a sudden want a $500 a year subscription. And the way it's presented in iOS in particular, it's hard to know how much it is and how long the subscription is. Apple's also going to be changing in the next version of iOS 14.5, this dialogue to make it a little bit clearer. <laughs> The, the app store on iOS is really, it's like going into a flea market or something. It's its a mess. And Apple really needs to take control of this. You know, if, if we look for the kind of apps we use, we're searching for things that are well-known and we don't see all this junk. But when you start searching for games or specific apps, a lot of apps that do things with photos, like apply photo filters, have these really expensive subscriptions. And it's really time for Apple to clean this up. Right. Um, there's also a, a lot of um, weird results that you might get if you search for certain other things, certain other categories of software, like cleaning, you know, software. I want to, you know, uh, clean up files on my computer or whatever. Um, if you search for those kind of things, even VPN, uh, um, you know, there are things that purport to be some kind of legitimate VPN app and, um, they might actually have some VPN technology, but they'll try to charge you exorbitant amounts of money that um, is really unreasonable. And so basically that's a big part of a Apple's new um, method of sort of cracking down on this. They're, they're saying, look, if you're trying to charge, um, you know, a hundred dollars uh, a month, that's totally unreasonable, right? Nobody would intentionally pay that. You, They might make it look like or sort of imply that it's $100 and you get lifetime access or you get access for a year. Um, but if you read the fine print, usually they'll tell you what they're really going to do. It's just that a lot of people don't really carefully read that fine print. And, uh, and that's part of the problem. You made a good point there. And I'll link in the show notes to an article I wrote some months ago about how to find your subscriptions in the App Store and how to cancel them. Right. Yeah. And that's really important. I, I would say for everybody to do that every so often, um, because you want to make sure that you're not getting nickeled and dimed or, you know, Benjamin, is, yes. is, that, is that a term? <laughs> um, by some software that is trying to take advantage of one time that you clicked on something and you didn't really understand what you were getting. Okay. Quickly, 
Two more Apple security things. Apple's going to make it harder to hack phones with zero-click attacks. Zero-click attacks are the kind of thing where someone can send you a message and just the fact that the message is received on your device causes something to happen. There's a really interesting article in Vice talking about this, and it goes back a couple of years to some other um, relatively important attacks that happened from nation states and that one spyware vendor gave demos of some of their zero-click attacks. And basically, it's going to be a lot harder in iOS. Yeah. And Kirk, uh, we were talking before the show about what exactly is a zero-click attack. Um, and these are the kind of things where, for, for example, somebody could send you a text message um, it doesn't require you to actually touch your device. You don't have to interact with it in any way. Um, you don't have to click on a link or, you know, and visit a malicious website or something like that. But just by virtue of receiving something of your device, getting something pushed to it, um, then it can be become infected. That's what we're talking about with zero click attacks. Um, so this sounds good. Um, of course, there's uh, there's always going to be a sort of cat and mouse game here with vulnerabilities, but anything that Apple can do to, uh, you know, help prevent these types of attacks, um, is very welcome. Uh, you know, we've seen things like, uh, WhatsApp has been exploited. There's been a FaceTime vulnerability that's been exploited where people were able to spy on people using FaceTime. And we've also seen something kind of similar to this, where, you know, if you'd sent a particular character to somebody in, in, in iMessage, then it would cause their device to get stuck in a reboot loop. Well, so in, those, in that particular reboot loop case, anytime that we've seen that in the past, it's just been a reboot. It hasn't been, you know, something that infects your machine, but it is possible that a similar technique could be used um, if they're able to actually get, you know, automated remote code execution, um, then that means they have the ability to install malware on your device. And that, that would be a zero-click attack. Okay, one other one. So we've got a cross-site scripting bug in iCloud. And this is kind of interesting. If you create the, the specific type of name for a pages or keynote document and use it in iCloud.com, this could allow people to inject malicious scripts into websites, steal cookies, session tokens, and browser data. doesn't sound extremely serious, but it, it's another one of these clever things that if you name a document in a certain way, it can do something on the iCloud server. Right. Yeah. And this is really clever on the part of the researcher to, to try something like this. But yeah, they gave a, a really strange name to a document, a pages or keynote document on iCloud. And just by giving it that name, the, the iCloud website would interpret that and actually run code based on the name that you gave the document, which it should never do something like that, right? And, um, and that's how he was able to exploit this. So um, thankfully, Apple has already um, resolved this issue. Um, so this is not something you need to worry about. It's good to know that um, there are researchers who are submitting things like this. And he did get a $5,000 bounty from Apple for, uh, for submitting this to them, which is a great thing. Um, back when, when uh, several years ago, when I submitted a website vulnerability to Apple, they did not have a bug bounty program at the time. And I got exactly $0 for <laughs> my kindness in helping them out. So, But you were doing the right thing, Josh. I was That's doing the right thing. Yeah, exactly. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back and tell you all about Silver Sparrow, the new Mac malware. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. 
Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier, powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, personal backup to keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. Okay, as I mentioned before the break, we're going to talk about new malware, Silver Sparrow. I thought this was some sort of Marvel superhero or new member of the Avengers. Yeah, it sort of sounds like that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Silver Sparrow is so named because, uh, I, I presume, because the company that originally found this malware is called Red Canary. And so I think they're trying to riff on on their name a little bit. Um, but Silver Sparrow um, is some interesting new malware that's actually gotten mainstream media attention. It was actually on ABC News uh, here in the United States. And, um, and there's a lot of interesting things I think to discuss about it. Um, first of all, before we get too far into the, into the discussion, we should say that, uh, it's important to know that Intego does protect you from this malware. Um, we do detect it. And so if your Mac is infected, then we will remove it from your machine. So the first thing I want to know is a lot of the headlines of articles talk about it affecting M1 Macs, but there's really nothing specific that allows it to run on M1 Macs. The macOS operating system is the same on both types of Macs, Intel and M1. And since there's the Rosetta emulation software that allows Intel software to run on the M1 Mac, anything that would be compiled for an Intel Mac can also run on an M1 Mac. So I think Headlines are just using that to be a little bit sensationalist, aren't they? Yeah, probably. I mean, I think that's probably one of the reasons why it got such uh, attention from the press, because it sounds like it's some really new, big, interesting thing. That's not the reason why it's interesting, though. Um, This is actually the second time that we've seen Mac malware that's been compiled to run natively on both Intel and M1 processors. So it's 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 not a first in that sense, but it is um, the first one that's really gotten a lot of attention from the press. The previous one was uh, Patrick Wardle's discovery of a new Pirate uh, adware variant. And, um, and Intego actually detected that even before we knew about the new variant that natively runs on M1, we were already detecting it because we had signatures in place that were able to identify Purit variants. So how do you catch Silver Sparrow? All right. So Silver Sparrow, the, the way that this was discovered, I think, let's start there. 
Um, because of course, uh, the original blog post from Red Canary is titled Clipping Silver Sparrow's Wings, Outing macOS Malware Before It Takes Flight. They really, really were punning it up with the headline here. But okay, so how did they catch Silver Sparrow? Um, essentially what, what they discovered was, uh, that there are some things that have been left behind by some malware that they came across. And when they, when they discovered this, uh, you know, they don't really have a lot of expertise in, in, uh, analyzing Mac malware. So they, they talked to some other experts and sort of did this analysis of, of this malware. They found two installer packages. Uh, these are PKG files, uh, which is a very common way of installing software on a Mac, a, a PKG file. PKG files are the ones when you download, they look like they're Amazon cartons and you double click and they open the installer app. Yeah, exactly. So they run through the, the native Mac OS installer app that, that comes with Mac OS and uh, and then once the malware is installed, um, it it does not very much really. It it executes some some JavaScript code as part of the installation process, which is one of the ways that this is a little bit novel and a little unique. Um, there are some legitimate software packages that use JavaScript code during the installation phase, but it's not something we see very often. Uh, with Mac malware. More often you'll see something like um, a pre-install or post-install script that goes along with the installation of some new malware. Um, in this case, they use JavaScript. So that's another thing that makes it a little bit novel and unique compared to a lot of other malware that we typically see on Macs. But it also makes it easier for you to see exactly what the malware is doing because JavaScript isn't compiled, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So they, uh, in the original blog post, they they give some of the actual JavaScript that was used by this malware, and so you can see exactly what they were doing. Of course, if you don't read JavaScript code, there's really not much to see, and it's a very simple JavaScript function. There's there's not a whole lot to it. Essentially, the the main thing is that they're checking to see whether uh, the software has already been installed. And one of the things that this malware actually does is it it looks to see if there is a particular blank file with a particular name and a particular location on your drive. If it sees that empty file with that particular name, then it won't install because that means that it has previously been installed and it uninstalled itself. Now, that's one of the really unique things about this. We don't see this very often where malware removes itself. A lot of times that happens because malware is trying to cover up the fact that it ever was on a system. Um, however, because it is leaving behind that little fragment, which is unique, um, that's one of the ways that we can identify whether a machine has previously been infected. And one of the things that you're seeing a lot in the press is that this has been found on 30,000 Macs. Well, the more accurate uh, statement would be that it has previously been installed on perhaps 30,000 plus Macs. And, and that's because almost always what we see is that this one file got left behind. It's not really so much that there's that many active uh, installations of this malware. But how did the company who came up with that 30,000 number find these Macs? Did they just ask everyone to open up their Macs so they could check their file systems? 
So the the way that they identified this was um, they they added a signature in their antivirus product that would detect this blank file, um, and so even though it's uh, even though there, it's not a malicious file, they were uh, able to identify it based on the location and the name of the file, and so then they they used that to determine how many Macs they had believed that it had been installed on. Okay, so how do you how does this transmitted? How do you get infected by this malware? Well, that's one of the mysteries surrounding this. There's a couple of interesting things that we just don't know yet, and that's one of them. It's not like you download something and you double-click it because you think it's a Flash updater. It's not a Trojan horse, right? Right. This this has not been seen as a typical Trojan horse like most of the Mac malware that we see. Um, So there's a little bit of question as to how exactly this is getting installed on Macs. Um, the, the name is very generic. It's just called updater.pkg or update.pkg, depending on the variant. It could be that it's presenting itself to the user as an updater for some existing software. It's just not very specific about what it's supposed to be updating. So presumably, maybe it's being offered to users based on a website that they visit, um, you know, one theory is that this probably comes from high-ranking Google searches, in other words, poisoned Google search results, um, which we do uh, see a lot. That's one of the uh, large vectors of malware spreading to a lot of Macs. Um, and that that can either mean that a legitimate website was infected and now redirects somebody to malware, or it could mean that uh, some nefarious site happens to rank highly for the particular keywords that you're searching for on Google. Well, interestingly, this morning, I uh, messaged you with a, a screenshot and a URL of something that I came across that was offering, that was, that was telling me to update Adobe Flash. And it was not anything high in in search terms, uh, I was very surprised. Obviously, it was some sort of domain that had been taken over by something. Um, I haven't seen these in a long time. I would expect that these would show up more with, you know, looking for a new TV or a car or something. But this was a really obscure search. Right. Yeah. Are you okay mentioning what it was? Yeah, I was searching about a specific type of shakuhachi. Shakuhachi is a Japanese flute that I play. um, And I was looking for some information about that. Um, there are not a lot of people who play the shakuhachi, particularly outside of Japan. So it's it's about as obscure a search as you can get. I would say so. I had never heard of this instrument until I met you and you talked about how you played it. And I'm like, what is that? <laughs> I've never heard of that. So yeah, it it doesn't necessarily have to be a popular search, but the trick is that a lot of times they can rank highly in search results just by getting those random things that only a few people are going to search for, right? There's, uh, it's very difficult to rank highly in search results for very popular terms. And so, you know, they kind of go for um, a broad, wide variety of maybe lower hanging fruit where there's not a lot of competition you know, if you're searching for things specific to Shakuhachi, so. What can this do to a Mac? Since we don't know what it does and we can't actually see it in action, right? We don't know what it could do. Well, so uh, we do actually have the installers. So in lab environments, we've tested it. We've checked to see what this malware actually does. And here's the problem. 
um, in order for it to do something beyond just installing itself and then later removing itself, it checks a particular web server for the existence of uh, some additional payload, some additional bit of code that it can download and then run on your computer. And the problem is that anytime that this has been tested in a lab, that uh, the server hasn't actually given out any sec any additional stage of malware, um, or the the server has basically been offline. Um, so that's the problem is that we don't know what else it has installed or whether it even has installed something on endpoints um, in the past. Any of those thirty thousand Macs that have been infected. So could it just be a proof of concept or a test that someone's trying to see how many Macs they can infect before then um, sending out some malware? Well, that's entirely possible. Um, we've definitely seen some indicators that it may just be a proof of concept. That's one of them, that we haven't actually observed it doing anything malicious. We know that this is malware based on um, a variety of factors, right? We, we know that this is not actually doing anything legitimate on your machine. It's not really updating anything, even though it's called updater. We know that it's installing a method of persistence, meaning that it's uh, installing itself in such a way that even if you restart your computer, it will run again once it restarts. And it's doing a number of other things like that, where there's, there's clearly no legitimate functionality and where it has functionality that it can get, go out and download additional code to do something to your Mac. You never want something like this on, on your Mac. So that's how we know that this there's malicious intent behind this. Because of this, Apple has revoked the developer's code signing certificate. So any malware that was signed with this particular developer's Apple ID will no longer run if you run it from now on on any Macs. So if you had previously been infected, um, Apple's, you know, update won't necessarily prevent it from get from, um, doing things if it's already installed on your system, but you won't be able to install these particular variants. Um, and of course it's relatively easy for them to come out with new variants signed by a different developer ID, but at least the two variants that we know of so far won't be able to infect any new Macs from this point forward. Okay, I'll put a link in the show notes. We have a detailed write-up about Silver Sparrow on the Indigo Max Security blog. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you'd be so kind, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.